That's Michigan-based small fleet owner Leander Richmond said in the last edition of Overdrive Radio, no, it does not happen to drivers of cars, it does not happen to campers. It does, often enough, happen to truckers. He was talking about the phenomenon of private lot or other uh, booting of trucks in which drivers are sleeping, most often during federally mandated rest periods, of course. So many of you likely saw last week with a report from a Dandridge, Tennessee uh, Speedway fuel stop location. That can include uh, tow trucks hooked up to you while you rest with a fee required to unhook. Richmond, as he noted in the last podcast, believes there should be a prohibition on booting or hooking to an occupied vehicle in this manner, and it's a subject we'll be covering in more depth in a later issue. For now... I'm Todd Dills, and in this edition of the Overdrive Radio podcast for November 21st, 2019, I'll say that though much of the response to the story about the particular situation last week at that speedway was outraged on several counts, uh, one particular response I'll highlight for a sound piece of advice before parking in any spot where you have doubt about the possibility of a tow hook or boot in your future. And that is, and it seems obvious, if at an open location like this speedway with any no parking sign within eyesight, do the reasonable thing and get out and ask a question in store before you make a $300 or more costly mistake. That only works to an extent, of course. Cue Ralph Fiscus Jr., who spelled out the broader situation as he sees it this way, quote, I do all of my driving at night, and I see the effects that ELDs have had on parking, but... Sometimes it gets a little ridiculous when you can barely get in and out of the truck stop because of everyone who is parked illegally. If you know you're going to be getting in near your delivery or pickup late at night when parking is non-existent, either set up reserve parking or stop early where you know you can park. I know that it sucks, and we should not have to do that. But that is the way things are, things are and are going to be probably from now on. Park in a legal parking spot, no one is going to hook a wrecker up to you or put a boot on your truck. As for this particular speedway, if you have never been there, then pull them up on Google Maps. You'll, you'll see that there is no room for parking. Fiscus Jr. goes on to say that the, uh, speculate that the business permit that they gave them does not, uh, the county gave them, does not allow them for, to make a single parking spot, more than likely. Quote, the reason Speedway did not build on the site of the old truck plaza uh, that's in the area uh, is because Dandridge of the county did not want a truck stop to return there. I say all of that so you don't blame Speedway. They are only acting as their business permit requires them to act. Some food for thought there. Now to the voices of two callers to our podcast message line who've experienced similar events in recent history. With a bit of a twist on the booting, partial towing playbook in a town on Long Island in New York, you might put on a list of places where street parking is off limits when it comes to commercial vehicles. Hi, my name is Lev Marman, and I'm from Minnetonka, Minnesota. Um, my story is uh, parking in Babylon, New York. Uh, I arrived after midnight and uh, specifically checked for no parking signs, and uh, there were none, and there were cars parked on the street. Uh, this was an industrial area. So I parked my truck in front of uh, the location where I was going to unload next morning. When I woke up, uh, there was a ticket, uh, when I, and the ticket was for $350. Uh, I called the city of Babylon. They told me that uh, only the trucks are not allowed to park on the street. The cars are fine to park on the street. And um, I asked them why wouldn't they 
post a sign like that, and their response was that I should just know the rules. So apparently I'm supposed to know the rules of every uh, town uh, in the United States uh, before I arrived there. Um, now, I refused to pay the ticket, and uh, after about a month, it grew up to about $600, and then after about two months, it grew up to $1,000. Uh, I never go to New York anymore, so I really don't care, but I tried to settle this, and they just wouldn't. I tried to talk to a prosecutor over the phone, and they said, no, I'm supposed to show up for court. Uh, this is just complete extortion. And this wasn't even show up for court. This was uh, show up and talk to the prosecutor. So to me, this is just a complete extortion. They knew that I wasn't going to show up because I'm not going to fly for something like this all the way from Minnesota to New York. Um, so yes, the, the rules have to change. They have to be able to, they have to either post uh, some type of signs uh, or um, just knock on the door, just as simple as that. Tell me that I'm not supposed to park here. I would have gladly moved. But no, they sneak up on the sleeping driver and would uh, give you a ticket or boot you or whatever else. And if you haven't gotten the message about late night operations in the parking lots of Walmarts in Kentucky and plenty of other places, here's yet another anecdote from a caller. Uh, this one about an incident in Corbin, Kentucky, where he was booted after acting on advice just like what I said earlier. That's right. No one has all the answers when it comes to parking. That's for sure. And I was in Corbin, Kentucky, Walmart. Uh, got booted and uh, fined for the truck being parked there. Had a dash cam in my truck when I pulled in. There was no, no parking signs there. I went in the store, bought something in the store, talked to the manager of the store on duty, and they said that folks is allowed to park there. Got woke up at 12 o'clock in the morning and charged $1,750 to be able to keep my truck from being towed. Again, my name is Hilton Cord from Marion, Indiana. Thank you. If you've got a similar story, reach out to me directly or via our podcast message line at 530-408-6423. Shifting gears here, following uh, what you'll hear is a triptych of sorts of more voices from That's a Big Ten Four on D.C. last month on the National Mall in Washington. The first is that of an owner-operator who this year took on something of an organizer's role in addition to being a participant. His reflections on the goals and the successes as well of the 10-4 and other D.C. events dominated this first portion of our conversation. Brian Hutchins, H-U-T-C-H-E-N-S, uh, from Ardmore, Oklahoma, second generation. Uh, I think the proposed changes are probably going to be the best chance we get to actually fix the hours of service where they work better for everyone. You know, we, we need a true split sleeper berth, and it's evident reading through the publication they put out that they actually listened to a bunch of those comments in there. If you look, they actually cited a bunch of those comments in there, which is something previously I felt like we never even really had a relationship with the FMCSA where it seems like now they're at least actually listing compared to before you didn't feel like you had any say at all. Right. You know, I think events like this have had a big part in that, don't you think? They actually, in one of the meetings, uh, one of the guys at the FMCSA said, that if it wasn't for the 1% that was standing up, nothing would have ever changed because they're the ones that have been outspoken, that have come and done events, that have made phone calls, that have had meetings with them. If it wasn't for us, you know, would have never been brought to their attention to be changed. 
Uh, well, they just assume everything works in a perfect world, right? So they assume when everyone was on paper, nobody complained, so they assume the hours of service were fine. What they told us was, well, we didn't realize how many people were cheating until we put e-logs in. It's not that the e-logs have even changed the amount of people that are cheating. The only difference is it's changed on the office side now or on a computer versus where it was before. There's, it's, the hours of service, if they're not right, people are still gonna continue to find a way to do it. Well, when I say cheating, yeah. it, it's actually, here's the thing, yeah. it's bending the rules yeah. in the name of safety's sake because yeah. the driver is responsible for this rig, this truck, his well-being when he's out on the road. He knows what it takes for him to operate safely. You can't take a clock and just say, you're gonna work within this clock and that's gonna make you safer. You can't mandate safety, you have to train safety. And I've said that over and over. And it's true because you can, you can mandate anything to happen. It doesn't mean the effect that it has is gonna come out to be positive in the long run as we're actually starting to see now with the hours of service we currently have. Now all these guys are racing against this clock versus before they could stop. It's just like DC traffic. You come DC traffic and you're hitting rush hour. If 5,000 trucks could stop before they got here and take a break for three hours and let traffic die down before they come through town, it would be safer for the general public and for the drivers as well if they come through at night or in the evening after all the traffic has died down. Not only that, it creates less congestion on the roadways during the peak hours. Um, how are you feeling about the event this year? I think the event's going great so far uh, from the time they started this morning. We've been lined up with people to talk to us. Uh, you know, a lot of the general public has no idea what a truck driver goes through on a daily basis. And when they sit here and we tell them what we deal with and what's coming down the pipeline and how it's possibly gonna affect us and affect them as the end user, it really opens their eyes. The big thing is trying to get some of these people to actually reach out to their elected officials so that we can truly make change. Because unless the public gets on our side as well, we're only thousands of voices right now. It has to grow to where they start realizing that this is gonna be worse than we thought it was. So if they raise that insurance liability minimum from 750,000 to 4.9 million, like the trial lawyers are trying to get pushed through, if they do that, my insurance is roughly 14,500 a year. I call my insurance company. It's gonna be over $40,000 a year to insure one truck. I can't absorb that cost. These small companies can absorb that cost. Yet, on, yet on the other end of that, the general public doesn't even have to carry enough insurance to yeah. cover our truck if they hit us. Right. So if they hit us and they total out our truck, part of it's gonna hit their insurance, but our own insurance has to pick up the rest, and then when we replace our truck, we have to foot the bill on our insurance for their mistake. Doesn't seem right, does it? Not at all. I was reminded there in that moment of so many such stories from the road out there, whether the motorist colliding with the owner-operator's truck was insured or not. The minimum auto liability in most states doesn't go very far in the event of a true total of a valuable Class 8, that's sure. Hutchins and I went on to talk a little bit more about his operation. In the 1996 Peterbilt 379, he hauls in uh, out of the home base in Ardmore, Oklahoma, with another truck under the Generations Express Authority. Used to run reefer in and out of California, currently run oil and gas field, primarily Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, and Louisiana. Your, your mother was in the business, right? That's she was. She started in uh, about 1980, uh, just before I was born. And she was actually in dispatch and operations, started her own company in the 90s, ran that up to 2012. 
eventually, you know, comes down the pipe with California pushing all their emissions regulations and, and it, it gets to a point where it's not even worth it anymore to continue to run out there with all the regulations they're pushing through. Yeah. So she was doing reefer they were. produce yep. and stuff out of there. Yep. I gotcha. Um, but your your focus pretty regionally. I am. I do a lot of regional. I still run over the road at times. Um, there are times I run all over the nation, but primarily I stick to those four states. Probably eighty percent of my loads stay in those four states. And this truck, uh, you got it a few years ago. Yeah, about three three and a half years ago. Um, it's a nineteen ninety six Peterbilt with a thirty four oh six Cat in it, and it's got a, a eighteen speed and three seventy rear ends in it in framed at 28,000 miles after I bought it so um, you know these motors are pretty simple compared to the newer motors and that's what I wanted to go to because I grew up wrenching on these motors uh, with my parents obviously and so I know these motors extremely well uh, wanted to get away from all the emissions and the problems that these guys deal with with them but yeah we've in framed the truck we've uh, put new chunks in both rear ends the transmission's been rebuilt new fuel tanks uh, you name it this truck's pretty well been gone through so working on the interior i think you said i have we've done a lot of work on the interior i uh, custom built me a shelf in the back keep my stuff because i have to have a a printer for my oversized permits and stuff like that so uh put a full-size refrigerator in there to make it a little more comfortable at home uh, to be like home especially when you're out in west texas and there's nowhere really when you're 40 miles off the beaten path and there's nowhere to eat it sure is nice to have food with you out there yeah do you cook in the truck? I don't cook yeah. in the truck. Uh, a lot of times I meal prep at home and then bring it with me. Gotcha. So I've got a microwave and a coffee pot and a printer in there all run off an inverter. Uh, oh, well, a lot of these guys live on their truck for 21 days or more at yeah. a time. So for them, yeah. so the average truck stop, you go in and, and you eat a meal. If you eat a decent meal, it's going to be 15 to 20 bucks minimum, no matter where you, you go. Yeah. Uh, when the markets get harder, you know, a lot of people turn to, to trying to cut their biggest cost, and that's one of their biggest costs is to eat on the road. You figure if you eat breakfast and dinner at a truck stop every day, you know, you figure 12 bucks in the morning and 18 in the evening, you spent 30 bucks a day, seven days a week, that's $210 on the road. And you can eat pretty well just cooking for yourself for under 10 a day. And oh, yeah. yeah. But other than that, I mean, we've gone through just most of the mechanical stuff on yeah. the truck has been gone through, which is the big thing. Yeah. And this was a southern truck when I bought it, so it didn't have all the salt and the ice and the rust. And yeah. for being a 96, I don't think the frame has actually ever been repainted. I mean, it's still original and it's still clean. So this truck was a, it was actually hauled a oil tanker and a milk tanker out of uh, down around uh, Stephenville, Texas is what it hauled. I actually, the panels were there. I changed all the lights Different on it. Lights, uh, okay. Yeah, I actually had the same lights on my old truck. and. Uh, you know, added like all the watermelon lights everywhere, kind of changed those up, more like the old school style on it. Yeah. Uh, the bucket headlights I put on, the drop bumper I put on, uh, you know, like That's the quilted it. tank guards and the fender guards, gives it kind of more of that old school feel to it. I put those on. I enjoy more of the old school look than the new school look, so. I did also, I forgot to mention, I put a Bruner's headache rack on the back which makes it convenient because I've got a lot more storage than a standard headache rack. Brunner's makes the best rack in the United yeah. States that I've found. They're, all their stuff is top quality. These trucks take a beating out there. Uh, yeah. You know, those roads out there are kind of rough and we do a lot of oversize. So this truck's actually got a, uh, it's got a little over 600 tune in it. I don't know exactly what it is because it's an encrypted file, but 
whoever built the file did a good job on it because I average on an EFTA quarter between 6.8 and 7.1, and most guys are going to tell you that's not possible, but I do it every quarter. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of stuff I pull is 12 wide and up to 14, 15 foot tall. So, yeah, so you're still got a big sail back there, but <laughs> basically, you're yeah. still doing pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. What are you hauling? What, what is actually back there when that is that big? Uh, a lot of oil field equipment, rig parts, uh, rig, refinery big, pieces. Big beams and drill pieces. And, right, yeah. right. Crane parts. Okay. Uh, anything that go on a step deck, you know, generally is what I haul. Saturday, Saturday convoying back down, yeah. you know, that's like everybody letting their hair down and relaxing yeah. because these guys work hard. Every one of these guys on the mall that you see, there's no slouch trucks out here. Yeah. Every one of these trucks is cleaned and polished and you know, tires wiped down. These guys take a lot of pride in what they do. And so tomorrow we'll be out here again, talking to the general public again and, and you know, informing them of the problems in the industry and what we're dealing with and then. Go online to find my postmortem from the event, including a further conversation with Hutchins shortly after the event about the camaraderie built among participants after that final convoy out back to the Fredericksburg, Virginia fairgrounds. Search that's a big 10-4 on DC at overdriveonline.com to find that report. Hutchins and I got to talking about cash flow and the mechanics of the oil field business he does. Does he factor his invoices, I asked. I am currently set up with TBS. I don't factor everything through them yeah. for the simple fact that some of my oil field customers pay upon delivery or they pay within a few days. So yeah. um, for those, it doesn't doesn't really make a lot of sense for me to do it um, on either end for us or them yeah. the nice thing about TBS is you don't have to factor every invoice that you have yeah. you have an option of factoring what you want to have there's not a minimum you know that you have to meet like a lot of these other factoring companies and yeah. I'll be honest before I met and talked to these guys at TBS I dealt or talked to a lot of factoring companies read their contracts and I never felt comfortable uh, Right. signing any of those contracts because a lot of the stipulations that are in there but after sitting down and and talking to these people at TBS I was actually pleasantly surprised that you know their long-term goal is for you not to be on factoring forever their their long-term goal is is they're there if, if you need them yeah. but they want to get people off their feet and get them rolling and make these independent guys more independent and people really don't realize this is a big cycle of money for everyone and, and yeah. goods and Without truckers, you know, this stuff doesn't get there. Without an end consumer, there's no need for truckers. Without a farmer, there's no nothing to be hauled. So it's like the cycle of life. We all have a part to play in this, and people need to realize it takes all of us working together to actually make this nation function. You can't take out one part of it. If you take out one part of it, it's like a house of cards. You take one out, and the whole thing falls down. Catch a few photos of Hutchins' uh, 1996 Pete via the post on my Channel 19 blog where this podcast first appeared on November 21st, 2019. That's overdriveonline.com slash channel19. The next two voices are those of owner-ops who participated in the 10-4 event, whose trucks we've given the video treatment over on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash overdrivemag. I'll let them introduce themselves on the way out. My name is Ruben Carrion. My company is CRNR Transport. I'm based from Kissimmee, Florida. 
uh, do flatbed, a lot of construction materials on it. Yeah, I run from most of the time Georgia to Missouri and uh, Kansas City area and back to Jefferson City and Jefferson City back to Florida. Okay. That's about it, you know. Two loads a week. I'm from Panama, Central America, Panama Canal. And you, but you've been here for oh, how many About 37, 38 years. And, okay. Yeah. Well, my mother married my stepdaddy. Okay. He was in the U.S. Air Force, but when I was back in Panama, I used to cut, work in the fields, cutting sugar cane okay. and uh, bulls. And to this day, we still got bulls and wagon to put freight. Okay. <laughs> my stepdaddy, by that time, retires from the Air Force. He was okay. working in a warehouse in Orlando, Florida, and then he got me a job working in the warehouse with him. And then okay. I started learning you know, forklift and then trucks and and then uh, no, but no, then 18, 20 years later, you know, I bought my own truck and okay. I've been trucking now. I got my own authority. Funny. I'd say about 15 years, 16 years. Yeah. I bought a brand new one in 2000, okay. you know, and then uh, about a year and a half ago, I restored paint the truck and Okay. I still got it, brand new one. Yeah. yeah. Got my own guys build those, you know, the, the panels. panels for me. And I stripped the whole truck and I took it to a shop to get a paint. And then I bring it home and I put it together. Yeah. Yeah. I shut it down for three months. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit different because I got all my equipment pay off. And yeah. I've been trucking for so long. And, you know, I just, you know, I don't not in that situation with big truck payments and how, uh, how much work did you put into this truck a year ago when you did it though yeah in the chrome and paint i put eighteen thousand. okay yeah did you do any mechanical work too at no the same time? yes no? no not well the motor was done but four it's, years ago okay it's been yeah a but the truck up over two million miles on okay. it. but I, my speedometer i lost it several times uh, yeah. i had to replace it you know yeah. like, i don't you know if i want to know the original mile i have to take it to the dealer yeah, and you know, I just do my oil analysis, keep maintenance, and yeah. actually two weeks ago I did the oil analysis and everything was good. Cool. I think, I'm gonna keep it running too. Right. <laughs> yeah. Easy. I had to rebuild. I just take it to the shop, cut a pill, and rebuild it one more time, and I'll probably be done. Yeah. And I strip yeah. everything. I took every piece of chrome out. Yeah. Brackets, mirrors, and breathers, pipe everything on, and then I took the guy and paint and then it took me two weeks to put it together yeah yeah and then i bought all the pipe new and all the chromes on it the yeah. only original is the breathers and the mirrors the, the breathers br- and the mirrors are yeah. original yeah and then rest Polished, it all. Yeah. yeah cool my little donkey i work like a donkey <laughs> <laughs> new stacks yeah, yeah they are all yeah. that's stacks. the third set Describe this a little bit for me here and where that came from. The, uh, the flag. The, the flag is Yeah, it was a custom made guy from Orlando. Okay. Yeah. I look at it in the internet and I, you know, I, he made it for me the size you wanted. And what, what is it made of? Uh, aluminum it's and powder coated. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he got different, you know, I decided to put in God We Trust on it. Yeah. Uh, you get the sort of half fender treatment here. Mm hmm. Uh, Talladega, in okay. Alabama. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The front ones and the front, the, the back ones on the front and the stack. That means I got it from them. Okay. Well, from 
uh, Georgia or Alabama, yeah, look at the internet and find laws. And then from uh, Missouri back to Florida, I've been working with the same broker right away for the last uh, 15 years, 14, 15 okay. years. Yeah. I leave Sunday cool. by noon and then I'm back home Thursday night or Friday morning, depending yeah. what I'm. Those guys in right away in, in Jefferson City. They loaded me some three, four to stop. They gave me a lot of Miami. You know. I don't mind, I like it. You know, they pay me pretty decent. Yeah. I don't say the best, but you know, they sure. they are guys, they're always there. You know. I'm Kid Smile owner. I'm from Signet, Ohio. Uh, I'm leased with Davidson Trucking out of Bradner, Ohio. I've uh, been driving for 23 years now. I've owned my own truck for three and a half years now. Right. Yeah, this is my second out of the two trucks. Uh, I had a 2012 Kenworth T660, and now I own a 2015 Kenworth T680, and I'm liking it. Depending on where I haul, how much weight I got, I'm measuring anywhere from seven and a half to nine and a half. Empty, I can go 10 miles, 10 miles per gallon, but Bobtail, anywhere from 10 to 12 miles per gallon. So I got a 13 speed in this with IXX15 Cummins. And okay. She does really good. She pulls nice, pulls the hills good. You just watch your speed. Yeah. It depends. Yeah. Location and yeah. the, the roughness of the road, you know. There's a lot of states that can't get to their roads right away. And yeah, we don't like construction, but we got to live with it. We got to have better roads. Yeah. Just make sure your tires are properly plated. And take care of your trucks and you'll get the best fuel mileage out of them. So with, uh, with Davidson Trucking, um, you guys are hauling um, in dry vans almost exclusively, right? Yeah, mostly dry vans. We haul a lot of household goods, and uh, we got a big account with the uh, principal business out of Bowling Green, Ohio, which is adult diapers. And we travel pretty much 500-mile radius, but we do go farther with them. It's different. I've been pulling oversized for in flatbed for, well, 19 years before I injured myself and it's a different experience pulling a van but it's a little bit easier on my back. I was pulling oversized from uh, Columbus City, Indiana up to Lansing or Port Huron, Michigan and they were over width, over length and anybody knows Lansing, Michigan it's like a ripple effect and after four or five days in a row I, I just couldn't get out of the driver's seat. I messed up my L4, L5, my S1. I got back to the yard in Fort Wayne and the mechanic knew what was going on. He actually helped me out of the truck, got me into a pickup truck to go to the emergency room. He moved the truck, disconnected everything for me. and I had to have my wife come all the way from Fort Wayne to get me. It was, it was not an experience I would like to have on the road. Right. I was off work for two and a half years, but determined myself I was going to get back in the truck. And you've known... Uh Dan Davidson, the owner of Davidson Trucking. Uh, I've that known, was like one of your first trucking jobs, right? It was, one of my, it was my second trucking job ever since I started. And I've known Dan since I was probably a little boy. He grew up with my parents, and I grew up with his daughters. They're younger than me, but we've all known each other. We come from a small town called Bettsville, Ohio, and everybody knows everybody. And one day I walked over and talked to him about getting a driving job, and, 20 years ago, I was working for him. I came back in July of 2019. He treats you like family, you know what I mean? There's no grudges. I was just young, 
hot-headed and back, back in those days yeah buy your own truck you, <laughs> you see the, the aspect of it from being an owner you know yeah. do what you do and follow the rules big Temper different tell me about the, the APU here yeah they're a company based out of Grand Rapids they're a small company it's the only place I found that can actually work on them service them get parts from them but it helps regulate my antifreeze in the winter time keeps the block from freezing my battery levels if it starts getting low I'll turn on keep the batteries charged yeah. it heats it in the winter time summertime it'll it'll cool it off inside and then shuts off I use about a half a gallon a night of diesel okay. where, where did the bumper come in uh, came the bumper was really flimsy they had the plastic original bumper on her so I decided one day I was like you know I, I gotta get that off it's it doesn't look good it's cracking so i called up four states and ordered the one for my truck and two days later is at my house putting it on it makes it look a lot nicer yeah. more professional than your average black plastic and yeah. <laughs> i mean it it makes the truck pop out more that one was like 750 bucks and 200 dollars in shipping and handling yeah. and that's all mine